Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. I believe as Richard Needham in his book, Wit and Wisdom, he reported the seven ages of a man are spills, drills, thrills, bills, ills, pills, and wills. And I believe every one of us, regardless of our age, could agree with that, right? We all start off with spills and move on to drills, and then we're teenagers and it's thrills, and then we're grown up, and then we have bills, and then we get sick, and it's ills, and then we have to take pills, and eventually, what do we end up with? Wills. And that's what he writes there, and I believe it was... Gloria Peitzer, the famous columnist, expressed, uh, expressed best in her clever poem. It said this, Procrastination is my sin. It brings me naught but sorrow. I know I should stop it. In fact, I will tomorrow. When I read these things, guys, I thought, okay, but what if tomorrow never comes? What if tomorrow never comes? What if the plans that you have in your mind are left incomplete? Your dreams unfulfilled and your hopes dashed because there is no tomorrow. You see, the psalmist David, in writing Psalm 39, he was truly contemplating the length of life, and he basically asked God the same question I bet we always ask. Some of us ask it out loud, some of us just in our heart, and he asked this question to our Heavenly Father. He says, how long do I have to live? And I don't think there's been one of us that has ever come a time and said, Lord, I mean, how long is my life? How long am I going to live? And then Moses, and one of the only Psalms that Moses wrote, and Moses, he writes in Psalm 90, verse 12, he says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And you go, what does it mean to teach us to number our days? See, David is asking God, how long do I have? What's the brevity of life? Help me. And, and, and Moses comes over and he says, teach me to number my days. Teach me, Lord. And you go, what does that mean exactly? Well, if you're taking note, guys, it means that you and I only have so many number of days on this earth. You've heard me say a thousand times, we have a dash. You see, there's a birthday, you have a dash, and then one day there's going to be a date that will determine that was the date you died. It's a death date. Moses writes and he says, he says this, he says, Lord, teach me, give me the meaning of how many days I have on earth. And therefore, when you give me this wisdom, I want to seize the day, living each day to the fullest. And you go, well, Ben, what was their purpose? Why did David and, and Moses, what, what was their purpose? And here it is, guys, to motivate you and I to affirm in our lives and to others that life is short and life is fragile. We don't get that at times, and especially, especially as we're young and we're growing up, life is just full and we've got our whole plans ahead of us. And David goes, yes, I remember those days, but let me tell you what I know now. Life is short and life is fragile. 
And he wants to affirm to you and I that we need to number our days. And you go, well, how? By taking our faith serious. Taking our faith serious. That's what he wants to do. Well, it's been said, church, there are four things that you can never recover. The first is a stone after you throw it. The second is a word after it's said. The third is an occasion after it's missed. And the fourth is time after it's gone. Both in Psalm 39 and Psalm 90 got me thinking this week, how much time do we really have left? Tell me, Lord, how much time do we, what is the brevity of life? And I started to think about that, and I started to think, how many more times will our eyes flicker open in the morning as consciousness comes into focus? How many more breaths are we going to flood our lungs with life-giving oxygen? And everybody takes a deep breath. Yeah. How many more beats of your heart will pump that oxygen to your vital organs until one day it stops for good? How much more time do we have? Well, that's what I want us to consider this morning. How will you and I live in light of eternity. Church, listen, listen. You know this, but every one of us has been given a gift. You go, what is that? It's a gift of eternal life. But where you spend eternal life is going to be up to you. How are we going to live here in view of eternity? And I think what we need to contend with is exactly what David contended with in Psalm 39. He reminded us that life is short, and so we need to take our faith and our walks with God seriously, seriously. And as I was studying, I found a story that reminded me of this, and it was about a preacher, and he stood up in front of uh, his congregation, much like y'all, and he asked the question, how many of you want to go to heaven? And of course, everyone in, in the room raised their hand, except one little boy in the front row. And so the preacher looked down and he said, son, don't you want to go to heaven in the future? And the little boy said, oh, I thought you were getting a load together to leave right now. <laughs> you see, David put it like this in verse 6 of Psalm 39. He said, we are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. Let me say that again, church. David writes, all of us are moving shadows. And I like that term. We're just moving shadows. He says, and all are busy rushing ends in nothing. And we're going to heap up wealth and not knowing who will spend it. If you're taking note, I'm calling this message moving shadows. For today we discovered that David asked God to help him accept the brevity of life and to number his days. And of course, like I said at the beginning, brevity defined is the shortness of time. And my prayer, as I was going through the study, my prayer is that we would also accept the brevity of life and embrace the fact that every one of us is going to die. 
but we also embrace the fact that we don't have to fear death. Oh, every one of us is going to die, but you realize that we don't have to fear death. Why? Well, listen, when we, are, when we have a secure life in Jesus, we don't fear death. It means we are we're set free to live. Wait, Pastor, I'm not sure I understand. Well, let me ask you a question. Let me, let, me get, let me get your thinking caps on. Do you guys know what the difference is between just simply existing and living? You know, I thought they were the same. I thought I woke up and I'm in this life and I'm, I'm just living. I'm, I'm living. No, no, no. Let me, let me give you the, exi- the difference between just existing. There's a lot of us who get up and we just exist in this life. We exist by a name. We exist by a number. We exist by what we do and what we don't do and we simply exist. But let me ask you this. Are you living? Well, Pastor, you have to be a little bit more specific. Can you explain it? Well, I can illustrate it this way. Let me illustrate it um, like this. Could you imagine with me a husband taking out his wife at a nice, nice restaurant for their anniversary? And he says, baby, I want to take you out. I want to, it's our anniversary and I love you. And, and over candlelight, he expresses his love for his wife by quoting a list of her physical features as if reading the information on her driver's license. There's the candlelight. There's the food. He looks into her eyes and he says, you're five foot four tall. You weigh 120 pounds. You were born in January. You have brown hair and brown eyes, and you live on East Maple Street. Now imagine the same situation with the husband looking into her eyes, the candlelight flickering, and he looks at her and he says, you walk in beauty like the night of cloudless climes and starry skies. And all the best of dark and night meet in the aspect in your eyes. Is there a difference? While the romantically challenged husband in the first situation communicated information that was accurate, he failed to communicate the depth and the magnitude and the beauty of his love for his wife. Love is more than a list of what? Factual information. Love is mysterious and beautiful relationship between two people. That's why poetry is so often used to express the emotion and the beautiful attraction of lovers feel towards one another. I draw your attention to Adam when Eve first came on the scene. The guy didn't know anything, but he's quoting poetry, is he not? Oh, Wow. You are flesh of my flesh. I mean, the dude goes nuts. And bone of, where did he learn that? Flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. Right? If he was simply just quoting, and he was simply just existing, Adam would have said, ow, that hurt, give me my rib back. <laughs> no, he saw her and went, the, 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 pastor, your point? Here it is, you ready? Many of us, Many people are just, are simply existing. They're existing like the first husband with facts, facts about God, facts on who he is. They know all about him, but they don't know him intimately. Pastor, your point, it, 
they've never had this connection with Jesus. And it's so frustrating because you look at someone's life and you're going, man, it's all right in front of you and they've never had this connection and they wake up day to day and all they do is simply exist. They're not living. Yet the second husband, man, he, what? He had a, he had a magnitude of beauty and depth for his wife. He knew what living was all about. He knew to look into her eyes and he knew, oh, I know all about her. And it's the same with us. When you know Jesus intimately, it's that same type of thing. That's the difference. And so with that as our introduction, church, let's jump into our text. Let's do this. Let's read Psalm 39 together, and then when we come back, we'll make some comments. Okay, it's only 13 verses, and I want you to listen. I want you to listen to what David says, okay? Remember, he's talking about the brevity. He's talking about the shortness. He goes, I don't know how much time I have. I don't know how long I'm going to be here on earth. And so he writes this psalm. Notice what he says. David says, I said, I will guard my ways, lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. I was mute in silence, and I held my peace, even from good. And my sorrow was stirred up. My heart was hot within me, and while I was musing, the fire burned, and I spoke with my tongue. Lord, make me to know my end, and what the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as, as a handbreadth, and my age is nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor, Selah. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they are busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and doesn't know who will gather them. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions and do not make me like the reproach of foolish. I was mute. I did not open my mouth because... It was you who did it. Remove your plague from me. I am consumed by the blow of your hand. And with the rebukes, you correct man for iniquity. You make his beauty melt away like a moth. Surely every man is a vapor, Selah. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you, a sojourner in all my, as all my fathers were. Remove your gaze from me, that I may gain strength before I go away, and I am no more your attention please david starts out in verses one two three and he finds the words to pray if you will a prayer of wisdom he starts off much like we should start off when dealing with wicked people how so he looks and he says i will guard my ways lest i sin with my tongue david knows what it's like to just speak without thinking he says, I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle. How many of us need to do that from time to time? That's what David says. Why? Well, the wicked are before me. I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good. And my sorrow was stirred up. My heart was hot within me. And while I was musing, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. David begins the psalm by recounting his prayer, asking God's help for not speaking foolishly or sinfully, even when the wicked are before him. Do you see that? I love, love, love that David is asking God to help him not speak foolishly or sinfully. 
Church, that is one of the biggest things that we have to be so careful because we will say stuff and it'll come out before we even know it's come out. And we will start to, especially when we're trying to defend who God is or we're trying to defend our own, defend our own righteousness or even our own walks. Sometimes we say that. How many times, church, do we not think before we speak? How many times we're like, oh my goodness, Ben, you, you're stepping on my toes. Oh, I know, because that's happened to me several times. You're in a conversation, and whether it's with your spouse or your kids or your boss or your coworker or whatever it might be, and all of a sudden they push that button. Anybody know where that button is? And all of a sudden it's like, let me tell you some stuff. And, and there it comes rushing out, only to feel regret. Now, maybe it's not even the wicked. Maybe it's somebody you love, but all of a sudden you've had a bad day. You know what I'm talking about? You've had a bad day. Your wife comes home and tells you something, and the first thing you do is, without thinking, you speak, and you can see the countenance of her face go from happy to broken. Yeah, why did I even? I like that David says, God, please help me to be careful. You know, we should always what? We should always think before we speak. And, and there's a really neat acronym that you can jot this down, guys, that, that just helps us. You go, what is it? Well, let's, let's take the letter T. What should we do with T? We should always see, is what am I about to say true? Is what am I about to do really true? You go, well, it is true, and that's why I need to tell him. Well, the Bible says speak the truth in love, right? Speak the truth in love. Don't, you don't have to. Anyways, T, is it true? Pastor, it is true. Okay. Well, H, is it helpful? Is what I'm about to tell you really helpful? Or is it hurtful? You see, there's a lot of times, guys, when we'll be sharing God's love, God's mercy, God's plan for somebody. And you and I, we can speak so eloquently and we're so quick-wittedly that we could win the argument, but we lose the person. Was what we're going to say helpful? Or how about I? Is it inspiring? Is it about what I'm about to tell you in our conversation? Is it inspiring? Can I help you grow in this? How about N? You go, what's N? Is it necessary? Is what, I mean, is this, is it really, what I'm about to tell you, is it really necessary? Or can I, I mean, can this be something that we just don't even have to talk about? Or how about K? Is about, is what you're about to say, is it kind? Is it kind? This is something that'll help you think before you speak. Think before you speak. Church, let me let you in a little nugget. There's a book I'm currently reading, and um, it talks about the power pause, the power pause. And in this power pause, what it says is that when you're in a conversation, it talks about when somebody talks to you, be careful not to just quickly answer. And it goes on to say, the reason why is when you're telling me something it's, and you ask a question, you take a moment and you let it sink in. Think about pause for just a moment. What does that do? It does a couple of things. Number one, you could go, what am I really listening to? What am I really hearing? What is this person really asking me? 
But it also, you also show respect to the person you're talking to because you're not just trying to give some answer real quick. And you know us, church. You know us. You ready? Sometimes we want to give an answer before the question has even come out. Well, let me tell you what I would do. Let me tell you what I would think. And, and sometimes we need to step back and we need to just kind of go. And they ask a question and it's called the power pause. You just, you're just thinking through what was just been said. And sometimes for us men, sometimes for us, can I get a witness, somebody? It's just our wives wanting to just tell us something. Doesn't mean we gotta fix it. It doesn't mean we gotta run and beat up somebody. It just means that they want us to listen. And men, we go, who did this? When? Done. Let's go. Right? And your wife's going, I just needed to air out. We call it vent, but I just needed to get this off my chest. You know, what's, you know what a good thing to do, men, is this. You know? Just, just listen. Just listen. And then ask the question. Think about it. Sweetie, do you want me to do something about this? No, I just needed to air out. Amen. Let's go eat. And then that's, you're done, you know? Is it, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Guys, we should polish every word with thoughtfulness before we send it on its way. Notice what David says back in our text. I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good. See, David found it easier to speak nothing than even to speak wisely. He said, I'm just not going to say anything. And then something happened in his heart. His heart began to just burn with fire. Notice he said, then I had to speak, right? Ever feel that way? Ever when you go, that's it. You've drawn the line. I'm going to, I've got to say something. Anybody? Okay, but notice what, oh, there's only two people that are honest in the church. Anybody? Yes. The rest of you are like, I don't know. But David does something that I love. Why? He doesn't speak to the person. He's angry. He says, something's burning in my heart. But who does he go to? Look at verse 4. Lord, make known to me my end. And what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am? In other words, he says, Lord, remind me of how brief my time is on earth. Remind me of the days are numbered and how fleeting life is. Some translation says this. Tell me when I'm going to die. And how much time do I have? Wow. I like what Charles Spurgeon says about this. He says, we might expected David to break his silence by telling his enemies or defending his own righteousness. He did neither. He sought God for wisdom. It is well that the vent of his soul was Godward and not towards man. Oh, Charles Spurgeon says, if my swelling heart must speak, Lord, let it speak with thee. Ah, I love that. Why? He's saying, even though my heart swelled up, you know who I talk to? I talk to God first. You know, if we prayed before every conversation we had, I wonder how much less hurt that would be on us and them. Hold on. Give me just a second. Let me, let me pray. Lord, I am angry right now, and if I speak to my boss, if I speak right now, I'm going to say some hurtful things. And I could even get fired, so Lord, help me. In Jesus' name. So what did you want to say? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's always good to what? To pray. 
pray through it first. That's what David does. And he gives us some good things. And he says, listen, it, it is, Spurgeon says, listen, if, if my heart, my swelling heart must speak, he says, Lord, let me speak with you first. Let me speak with you first. Husbands, can you imagine if we prayed before we're having a conversation with our wife? And we would speak the wisdom of God, not our own. He goes on verse 5, he says, Indeed, you have made the days, you have made my days as a hand breath. My age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor. And he says, Selah, which means think about it. You know what David says? You know what he's saying to us, guys? Look, everybody look at your hand. He says, you have made my hand, you have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment with you. At best, he says, each of us is just a vapor, a breath. At best. Now, what is David comparing it to? He's comparing it to eternity, is he not? Why? When you think of eternity forever. Our lives are, I mean, they're just... And when you're existing, it makes it all worse. Does it not? Get up. Got to go to work. You know, I mean, it's, it reminds me of the Dunkin' Donuts. Got to make the donuts. Somebody's got to make the donuts. And that dude just existing so we can eat donuts. But the point is, it's really simple. You want to do that and then think, okay, so when I die, it was like all for, it was just a vapor? Compared to eternity? James, the half-brother of Jesus, tells us the same thing, guys. He says in James chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, he says, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a moment and then vanishes. You pastor your point? Well, both David and James tell us that this, life is short. Life is short. Life is short. It's fragile. And here's what I want to get communicate to you guys. Listen, you have but one life. And, and I want you to live your life to the fullest extent in Christ, but it's short and it's fragile. And we don't know that what, what tomorrow brings. We don't know. We don't know if we're going to be here tomorrow. We're not going to be here next week. I don't know if I'll be doing your funeral next week or you'll be doing mine. You understand? Life is short. And you go, so what's the point? Ready? Jot this down. Make every moment count. Make every moment count. Solomon, the wisest of all men, tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, don't take moments for granted. Don't take moments for granted. Moments are going to be happening all over the place, all over your life. There's moments. He says, don't take them for granted. Love every moment. Leave the drama for somebody else, Solomon says. Leave the drama for somebody else. He tells us, you ready? And this is a hard one. He says, let go of control. Let go of control, right? Anybody know what that means? You've got to be in control of things. Let's talk about control for just a moment, okay? 
You know the price you pay for wanting to control everything? You go, what's that? You lose spontaneity. You lose spontaneity. You just, you're not spontaneous. Oh, no, we've got to do everything. Just uh. You know what? And, and think about it. You're losing the moment because you're what? You're constantly fixating on every place you got to be. Ever go on a vacation where everything was planned out and there was no spontaneity? How fun was that? Sometimes we call vacation. It's not vacation because we're busy. We're so busy running around and trying to see every single site that nobody rests. And that's the control he's talking about. You want to know what your, your problem emotion is with control? Worry. Your problem emotion is worry. You worry all the time. And you can't control anything. And yet you work hard to control and realize that you have no control. And what Solomon is telling us, guys, is that when it comes to the moments of your life, he says you have no control and it's best you just embrace the moment. Think about, think about your kids for just a moment, church. I see, I see Agatha sitting over here to my left, and when she first started coming to church, her kids were little. And about in about a blink of an eye, they've gotten big, haven't they? And it's fast. It's fast. And you think, oh goodness, my children, they're. And and what I'm telling you is that before you know it. Time just goes and they'll be gone and then and you'll miss that and you're just like I missed I've missed these moments, man. I've missed these moments. Guys, Solomon says, Don't don't take those moments for granted. When when you're doing stuff that you think is boring and you'd rather be doing something else, those are the best moments, those spontaneous moments that just happen. Back in our text, guys, David, the psalmist, writes in verse 6, he says, Surely every man walks about, how? Like a shadow, a moving shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain, and that hurts. And you go, why? Because that's exactly what we do. We, we, we're so busy. And he says, and it really, what's it for? What's it for? You, you realize that we do that, right? You realize as human beings, I'm busy, I'm busy. What do you got? I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. I'm busy. What are you doing? I'm just busy. I'm making money. Got to work. Five jobs. Really? How much money you got? Got a lot of money. Well, David just said that you're going to heap up riches and you're not going to know who's going to spend it. Wow. Well, pastor, is it wrong to have money? It's not wrong to have money, but what I'm telling you, when you make, when you take something, okay, you ready? This is going to be good. When you take something good, and make it ultimate, then it becomes an idol. Is it? Is it? Can, can you have money? You can have money, but don't don't rob your family of the moments, and don't rob your church family, and don't rob all that God wants to show you because you want to have an extra fifty cents an hour. It's not worth it. Don't take something good and make it ultimate. It becomes a idol. And he says, and here's what will happen with your idol. They make horrible gods. Why? Because die once and see what happens. Somebody else will spend your money. 
And, and guys, here we go. I'm, I'm getting on a soapbox, trust me. So many people die thinking that they can control their money from the grave. And their kids go, Dad's not here. Let's spend it. Well, David, sounding very much like the book of Ecclesiastes, David thought about the mass of humanity that lived ignoring the shortness and the frailty of life. And you hear that, right? You hear, hey, when are you going to serve Jesus? Well, let me just get my career in order. When are you going to love Jesus? Well, let me just get my, let me get some of my life in order. And listen, when I'm 70 or 80, then I'll, I'll, David's like, no, you're missing the frailty. You're missing the brevity of life. He says, now's the time to live your fullest. He says, each of them walks around, but like a shadow, living a life with no substance. They are busy, but in vain, being blinded to eternal things. Each of them works hard and heaps up riches, yet does not think beyond their own short and frail life. You go, Pastor, your point, here it is, guys. I'm just wanting to get you to think that, that we don't, we're not promised tomorrow. And the enemy is really good with getting us preoccupied with what we've got to do next month and next year and five years from now. I've got a 10-year goal, and if I don't hit a 10-year goal, and you're missing out on today. You're missing out on today. Well, David says, in the land of shadows, heaven is the land of reality. Heaven is the true high death. This is just the land of shadows. And so, under his stress, he goes, he goes, Lord, help me. Help me. Give, what is the cure? What is the cure for, for the stress? What is the cure for trying to understand that? And so the, the, the cure is requested. Look at verse 7. He says, and now, Lord, what do I wait for? Tell me, Lord. And then he realizes my hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me approach of the foolish. I was mute. I did not open my mouth because it was you who did it. Look at verse 7 with me, church. And now, Lord, what did I wait for? My hope is in you. David is, he's perceiving the brevity of life, and David put his expectation and hope upon God and not himself. Can you imagine? He came to the place where he's like, look, it's not about me. It's about you, Lord. Oftentimes, oh, goodness gracious, if I ran into a crisis in my job, if I ran into a crisis in my workplace, I would be trying to fix it myself. Oh, listen, let me call somebody and listen, hey, listen, I might be leaving this job, you know anything? And I would try to fix it. And David goes, no, 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 that's not where my hope is. My hope is in you. My hope is in you. And I think it's right here where David has his aha moment. You ever have that? Oh, wow. We used to call it back in the day the V8 moment. Anybody remember the V8 moment? Right? They did a whole campaign and you used to hit yourself on the head saying, wow, I could add a V8. That's exactly what David's thinking. David's thinking, man, I could add a V8. Why? I got it. I got it. I get it. He says, I need to get off the shifting sand and put my feet on the solid rock. I don't need to worry about these things. God's going to take all those things. I'm going to just start living. David goes from existing to living on the solid rock and saying, my hope is in you. Church, can I ask you that question? Is your hope in the solid rock of God? Is that where you lie your hope in? Not your employer. Not your spouse. Your hope is in God. And when your hope is in God, he is ultimate in the rest of life you can enjoy. Do you get it? 
When you take something that's good and you make it ultimate, it makes a crummy God and you are not happy. When you take God and make him ultimate, the things that God gives us, we enjoy and we praise God. It's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing when you truly understand it. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So food, Ben? Food? Yes, we never take food which is good and make it ultimate. We take food and go, Lord, thank you for this enchiladas. Wow! I praise you, right? Well, look at this steak. Woo, man. You put your little fork and it just crumbles. Oh, Lord, thank you. We take what's good and we worship Jesus because of it. We don't take it and make it ultimate. David has his aha moment, right? And I think David's giving us a great negative truth here. You go, what, what is that? He sees that, he says that seeing his, his life and all the enjoyments were so vain and short to all men. And I was thinking when it comes to life, guys, don't seek the happiness from things that will only disappoint you. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you put your faith in trust in the vanity of life and that'll make me happy, we say things like this. We often think, well, if I had a bigger or a better, and, and you could just underline it, oh, if I just had a bigger house, then I would be happy. Oh, if I just had a better yard, then I would be happy. Oh, if I just had a, and you could just under anything, oh, if I had a better set of golf clubs, then I would be happy. Oh, if I had a better tennis racket, oh, if I had a better wife, you know, whatever it might be, then I'd be happy. And you're what? You're putting your faith and trust in things that won't make you happy. Why? Idols make horrible gods, and they never satisfy. They only leave you longing for more. It was Tim Keller who wrote, our, our hearts are idol factories. So we have to be so careful. Another way, to, another way is simply to say, you ready? Jot this down. If my life, my life only has meaning or I only have worth if. You see, then you're getting to the place where it's like, oh, wait a minute, I'm putting my faith and trust in, in something else. Why? If you sit and you go, my life only has meaning if, and you can take image. If I look super cool, GQ, that's what I'm talking about, every day, then it's what? Then it's become, it's become vanity, and you're putting your hope in vanity. I know none of you do that, but I'm just giving you an illustration. So where does, say, where does David say? David says, and where do I put my hope? And then he looks up and he says, my hope is in you. My hope is in you. And then for some reason, he, he gets this strange feeling. Look at verse 10, guys. He says, remove your plague from me. I am consumed by the blow of your hand. With the rebukes, you correct man for iniquity. You make his beauty melt away like a moth. Surely every man is a vapor. And here's the thought behind what he's saying. All of, okay, so David's like, Lord, it's you. And, and when I get angry, I put my faith in you. And I want you to just teach me to number my days, God, because I don't want to say anything foolish. And, and I just want to follow you. And then he comes back and says, here's the thought of verse 10. You ready? The thought of verse 10 is him going, listen, you know, like when, when you're in a fight and you're wounded and you're wounded so more that you can't fight. And then you basically say, okay, I give in, uncle. 
uncle and pray that the enemy would spare his life. Here's what David's saying. David says, Lord, at this point, Lord, I'm conquered. God, you win. Save me. Here's why. You ready? Because David knows that, that you can easily make something an idol. You can make your life an idol. How, how church? By not understanding the number of your days and simply just going. And David goes, oh, I mean, I, you, you win, Lord. You win. You win. And he says, hear my prayer, O Lord. And give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you, a sojourner, as all my fathers were. Verse 13, remove your gaze from me, that I may regain my strength before I go away, and I am no more. He's knowing that his weakness was due to the heavy hand of God upon him. Here's what David, David asked, guys, and I think it's a good question. He asked God to look at him no more with the eyes of correction. Okay, God, I get it. I get it. I've learned. And the psalm ends without resolution, but a determined appeal to trust the Lord. And that's the application I want to leave you with. Your determined appeal to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. It was years ago, Nathalie and I were just married. And I was trying so hard in business and, and I had a little bit of success. I had a little bit of success and, and, um, Things were starting to go good, and I remember we were laying in bed one night, and I was telling her I was so frustrated. I was so frustrated that, that I wasn't getting the recognition that I should. I was so frustrated that I wasn't getting the praise and the promotions that I should. And, and she lovingly turned to me, and she said, why do you want praise and, and, and the accolades of something that God is doing? And I, we laid there, and we were young married, and so I just turned over and went to sleep. Didn't want to hear that. But is it right? We didn't want to hear the truth sometimes, right? I'll never forget that. I was just like, bang. Called the burden unit, man, because that was like <sighs> And it was true. She says, Why do you want all the praise and and, and 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 accolades and all the promotions of something that God is doing? And God was moving in my life. And so I've never asked Nathalie another question again, so I'm just <laughs> I learned my lesson. No, that's not the case. Because she's gone on to give other, other great types of wisdom. And one day she said, you know what? God is your provider, not your job. God is your provider. And I thought, you don't know what you're talking about, woman. Just let the business hand, let the men handle the business. And, and uh, you know, she was right. You know what? You know who your provider is, guys? It's the Lord. And here's his promise to you. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And let me say this to you. There was a great book that I read. Okay, this is just extra. This didn't, first service didn't get this, so you're lucky. I read a book called um, Good is the Enemy of Great. And sometimes your good job could be holding you back from something really great. But we got to put our faith where? In the Lord. In the Lord. Let me close with this story. Josh is going to make his way up and close us in worship. An unknown writer has well captured the, the way life slips through the fingers with, with words. He said this, you ready? When as a child I laughed and wept, 
and time crept. When as a youth I dreamed and talked, and time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. Soon I shall be passing on, time gone. Let's break that down for just a second, right? Do you remember when you were a kid and Christmas took forever? You know what I'm talking about? The tree was up and it was just like the clock would not move. You were, you were so weighty. You guys remember, right? It was, it was December 24th. I mean, it, it was like four days away and he was like, when can we open our present? And click. And I, I promise you, there were sometimes I think the clock went backwards and I mean, it was just <laughs> slow. And then you became a youth. And you dreamed and you thought, man, what, what, what is there for me? And time walked a little bit. It moved a little bit faster. And now that you're full grown, guess what happens? Time flies, doesn't it? It runs. And it moves and it moves and it moves. And you're like, man. We sit here, I think, what, Josh, day after day? It's already May. Where did, where did April go? Where did, I mean, are you kidding me? And it just moves. And we'll sit and we'll go, oh, we're almost done with June. You go, Ben, we haven't started June. Trust me. We'll be sitting here going, it's almost Thanksgiving. Why? Because we're grown up, guys, and time just flies. And one day, the time's going to be gone. And here's what I want to leave you with, guys. Here's what I, do me a favor. Don't leave this earth without any regrets. Here's what I want you to think about. If, if today, if today, the Lord knocked on your heart and he said, hey, tonight at 1136, you're coming home with me. Nothing weird, you know, you're just, you're just done. That was your time. Let me ask you a question. Could you say, I left this earth with no regrets. I left it. I laid it all on the table. And 11.36, God, I am ready. Why? Because I told my wife I loved her. I told my kids they mean the world to me. I hugged and I cried. And I didn't let external things ruin me. Because life's too short. So 11.36... Lord's going to take you home. Could you say, man, I have no regrets. I have no regrets. I'm going, to, I'm going to trust the Lord for everything. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I'm going to love people. I'm going to love them back to life. That's what I'm going to do. All I got is today. Lord, teach us to number our days. In light of eternity, we want to serve you. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word today and the truth in your word. And we thank you, God, that you teach us, God, to number our days. And that, Lord, all in this life, this is not all there is. And we get to come on a Sunday morning and we get to hear you. We get to sing. We get to see our friends and it's family and we love it. But at the end of the day, God, at 1136, we want to know that our hearts belong to you and only you. And that we served you the way you asked us to serve you. Father, we ask for right decisions. We ask to guard our mouths and our hearts to help us think before we speak. And Lord, when we mess up, we just confess that. and We tell those closest to us we love them. 
and they mean the world to us. And we don't miss the moment. And when we hear a child's laughter, it doesn't bug us, but it just, it just brings a warmth to our heart. Why? Because there's not a lot of children laughing anymore. But I know in heaven, God, it's going to be so joyous. Make our lives count for you. We ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.